return with me in the Bible to the book of Exodus. We are looking at Exodus chapter 11 this morning. Uh, so we've been going through the book of Exodus, uh, except for the last uh, two weeks when I was away, we're going to have a little break, but uh, we have been looking at this second book of the Bible under the heading From Bondage to Belonging, because that's the journey that God led the Israelites on from bondage under Pharaoh when they were in slavery in Egypt, and God not only brought them out and set them free, free, but God brought them together as a people to belong to him. And as we're looking at what God did for the Israelites back then, uh, we've said many times that what, uh, what God did for the Israelites back then is a picture of the even greater redemption that he has provided for us through his son Jesus Christ that God has brought us out of bondage to sin and death and the devil and to belong to him through Jesus Christ uh, to have his righteousness and life and freedom and hope. So we are coming to a very important part of the book of Exodus. Uh, today and next week we're going to be looking at chapter 11 through the middle of chapter 13. This is really one long section, but because it's so long, we're going to take it in two parts, two weeks. So I'm going to read some of it this week and some of it next week. It's sort of a mix of story and instructions. You'll notice that. Some of it is just telling the story, and some of it Moses is giving instructions to the people. Today we're going to focus on the story. Next week we're going to focus on the instructions. Uh, but I'm going to read starting in chapter 11, verse 1 today. Uh, so this is after the first nine plagues that God has sent upon Pharaoh when Pharaoh had refused to let the Israelites go. So chapter 11, verse 1 begins, The Lord said to Moses, Yet one plague more I will bring upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterward, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will drive you away completely. Speak now in the hearing of the people that they ask every man of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor for silver and gold jewelry. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants, and in the sight of the people. So Moses said, Thus says the Lord, About midnight I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl, who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle, there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there never has been, nor ever will be again. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. And all these your servants shall come down to me and bow down to me, saying, Get out! you and all the people who follow you, and after that, I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh won't listen to you, that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go out of his land. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb, according to their father's house, as a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. According to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. 
you may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel, the lintel is the top of the door, of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Do not eat it, any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head, with its legs, and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning, anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste, it is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night. And I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments, I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Now look down at verse 28. We'll read a few more verses there. Then the people of Israel went and did so as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go. Serve the Lord, as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds, as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, We shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks, on their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. What do you most want to be delivered from? Many times we can find ourselves in stressful or painful or unfair situations that leave us longing for deliverance. For some people this can be a job situation. I remember uh, many years ago I was having dinner one night in Boston with a guy who graduated from college. He had started working for a prestigious consulting firm. And it was 8 or 9 p.m. we finished dinner and he was walking back toward his office. Because that's where he was until 10, 11, or midnight every night. And he worked much of the weekend too. And as we were walking back, he said to me, as I look at that building, it feels to me like a prison. Yes, it was a prestigious job. Yes, it was a well-paying job. But he said, for me, this is not sustainable. I have no life outside of this job. I've got to find a way out. For other people, it can be a living situation. When we lived in New Haven, some good friends of ours who had two small children found that their house, the house they were renting, was full of lead paint. And so their kids already had elevated lead levels. They had to cover all the windowsills and plastic sheeting, had to negotiate with their landlord, try to figure out how they could end their lease as soon as possible. They had to find a way out. Uh, for other 
there's other people, it can be a political situation that they're looking to escape. About 15 years ago, I met a doctor, a university professor from the country of Chad, a Central African country, who had come to the United States because there was a civil uprising in his country, and one of the political groups had targeted him as an enemy. He was trying to remain neutral, but his life was in danger, so he fled, and he ended up here in Connecticut. You know, there are all kinds of stressful, painful, and unfair situations that can leave people longing for deliverance. And that's the situation the people of Israel found themselves in at the beginning of Exodus. They had been in an increasingly painful and stressful and unfair situation. Their work situation as slaves in the land of Egypt had, gone from, had only gone from bad to worse. They were living under a political regime that was literally hostile to their very existence. And so they cried out to God for deliverance from their misery. And God heard their cry. And so far in the story, we've seen how God raised up Moses and Aaron to lead the people. Then we saw that things seemed to get worse instead of better. But God reassured them that he would follow through on his promise to deliver them. And then, in chapters 7 through 10, we saw how God confronted Pharaoh with nine plagues in a row. And yet, every time, Pharaoh hardened his heart and refused to let the people go. And today, we come to the tenth and final plague, when God finally, definitively provided deliverance for his people. Now, today, I want to focus on the question, what does God deliver us from? As we look at what God delivered the Israelites from, He delivered them from two things. First of all, He delivered them from human oppression. But second, He delivered them from divine judgment. So I want to look at those two themes today. God delivers His people from human oppression and physical suffering, but God also delivers His people from divine judgment and death. Now, if, you're, if you've been reading through the book of Exodus, if you come to this section, as I mentioned earlier, it's a mix of story and instruction. So chapter 11 was a story. Chapter 12, the first 27 verses, are a long set of instructions that God gives to the Israelites about how every year they must observe the Passover in order to remember this crucial event. And then we picked it up in verse 28 where the story resumes through verse 42. And then if you look at chapter 12, verse 43 to 13, 16, there's more instructions. So it goes story, instructions, story, instructions, and then the story continues after the people leave Egypt. Now you might ask, why do the instructions interrupt the story? Because so far in Exodus, Exodus has been uh, mostly a story that just kept going on and on. <clears throat> this is the first time we have sort of long instructions that interrupt the story. Uh, and the reason for that is the story is slowing down here to draw attention to how important this episode is. So the first nine plagues, we looked at the uh, first nine plagues two weeks ago, they all follow the same pattern. Moses announces the plague, he says, Pharaoh, here's what's coming your way. And then God sends the plague, and then Pharaoh pleads for mercy, because he doesn't like it. And then God removes the plague, and then Pharaoh changes his mind and says, Nah, I ain't letting you go. And on to the next plague. The same thing happens nine times over, but here, the story follows a different pattern. Moses announces the plague. 
beginning of chapter, chapter 11, but God doesn't just immediately send the plague. He tells the Israelites how to prepare so they can be spared from it. In the first nine plagues, the Israelites didn't have to do anything to be spared. God just uh, set them apart. But this time, they have to do something to be spared. So then God sends the plague, and Pharaoh says, go. Pharaoh's done with them. So it's only ever matter than the other nine plagues. It shows how important this part of the story is. Also, when the other nine plagues happen, God never says, I want you to establish a ritual that you go through every year in order to remember this plague. So God doesn't say, after the plague of frogs, every year, one night a year, I want you to eat frog's legs. Right? Some people, some people, some parts of the world, like frog's legs. Right? But God doesn't, no, God doesn't say that to the Israelites. And after the plague of hail, he doesn't say, every year, I want you to retell this story of the greatest hailstorm that you have ever experienced. No, he doesn't say that. But after this last and final plague, God says every year, I want you to kill a lamb and eat it together and remember what happened on this crucial night. So the point is, when you the, the story and the instructions are here together to show us how massively important this event is. So as I said, today I want to focus on what happens, and next week I want to focus on how the Israelites are remembering. So I call this uh, this week and next week's sermon, Redeemed, or Delivered, and Remembering. Redeemed and Remembering. Uh, so today we'll look at uh, what, it, what does God deliver his people from. So first, God delivers his people from human oppression and physical suffering, from stressful, painful, and unfair situations. The Israelites had experienced not just a few days of pain, not just a few months of pain, not just a few years of pain, but decades, maybe even centuries, of oppression in Egypt. They have been enslaved. They have been physically beaten. They have been discriminated against largely because they were foreigners and ethnic minorities in Egypt. Pharaoh had turned against them. He even threatened to kill their baby boys. And when Moses and the Israelite leaders protested to Pharaoh about how they were being treated, he said, Pharaoh, look, this is just impossible. You wouldn't want this to be done to you. Pharaoh says, okay, I'll make it worse. Now, thankfully, the Israelites didn't just cry out to Pharaoh for justice. They also cried out to God. And God heard their cries, and it says God had compassion on them. But God doesn't immediately, the first time they cry out to him, snap his fingers and immediately change everything. You know, God doesn't always, the first time we cry out to him in prayer, immediately change our situation and remove all the pain and all the stress and all the unfairness that we're experiencing. But God does intervene, and God does hear and answer prayer. The Israelites' prayers weren't in vain, and our prayers are not in vain, even if we don't see the desired results right away. So far, God has sent nine plagues upon Pharaoh, and each one of them had demonstrated God's sovereign authority over all the idols that the Egyptians worshipped. But none of them had resulted in the people's deliverance. Every time Pharaoh hardened his heart, and now, in chapter 11, God says, one more plague, and this is the last one. One more plague, and he'll let you go, he'll let you go completely. And in chapter 12, verse 31 to 33, so chapter 11 is sort of the announcement, 
of the plague, and then the story in chapter 12 just shows how it goes exactly as God announced it. Uh, Pharaoh says in chapter 12, verse 31, get up and go, and don't ever come back. The Egyptian says, they sent them out in haste. Or verse 33 says, the Egyptian sent them out in haste. And Moses didn't just say, okay guys, time to go. He does one more thing. He says in verse 2 of chapter 11, everybody ask your neighbors, your Egyptian neighbors, for silver and gold jewelry. And in chapter 12, verse 35 and 36, they did so. As the people of Israel asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and clothing, and the Lord had given his people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so they let them have what they asked, thus they plundered the Egyptians. Now that word plunder is normally a military term. It normally refers to the loot that warriors gained after a victory. Right? The loot that the winners walk away with. But here, the Israelites didn't take up arms and fight. No. God fought the battle for them. So they weren't celebrating a victory that they had achieved for themselves. God had demonstrated his authority over Pharaoh, over all the idols that the Egyptians worshipped, and now his people walked away enjoying some of the fruits of God's victory on their behalf. See, on this one night, God turned the tables. He reversed the fortunes of his people. Instead of being enslaved and oppressed as they had been, for decades, they would now be free and independent. Instead of being worked to death and never paid a fair wage, they would be generously and bountifully provided for. They would leave Egypt not only with their basic needs met, not just with the clothes on their back, but with silver and gold and clothing. And they would later use some of those very items to worship God, to build a magnificent tabernacle for the God who had delivered them. That's where we get to at the end of Exodus. So that's the first thing we see is that God delivers his people from human oppression. God does deliver his people from stressful, painful, and unfair situations. Not always immediately when we call out to him. Not always on our timetable. But he does. He cares about the stressful and painful and unfair situations. He sees. He knows. And he has compassion. You know, some of you have been through some deeply painful and very stressful and deeply unfair situations that have lasted for a very long time, for years, or even decades. But for some of you, you can look back and say, God made a way out, because I'm not there anymore. Sometimes that happens abruptly, unexpectedly, like it did on this night. Finally, after nine plagues that didn't seem to achieve the desired effect, God says, Tonight is the night of deliverance. Now, you might also be still in the middle of a stressful, painful, and unfair situation. Like the Israelites were for a long time. And the encouragement is to keep calling out to God and know that He sees and know that He cares. You know, sometimes God shows favor to His people like He did to the Israelites here in physical, tangible ways. Sometimes God enables us to walk away from a bad situation not just empty-handed and penniless, but rather generously supplied by God with even more than he, we need. The Israelites walked away from their years of slavery in Egypt with even more than they needed, with silver and gold and, 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 and clothing. Sometimes even people who dishonored us in the past will turn and respect us 
If you notice, chapter 11, verse 3, it said, All the Egyptians had high respect for Moses. That wasn't always the case. There was a time before then when the Egyptians did not see Moses in a favorable light. But now they did. Now he got the respect that he hadn't had before. So God delivers his people from all kinds of human oppression. That's the first thing we see in this story. But that's not the only thing. And it's not even the most important thing that God delivers his people from. The second thing we see is that God delivers his people not just from human oppression, but from divine judgment. Look at chapter 11, verse 4. Moses announces to Pharaoh, about midnight, I will go out in the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. But then he says in verse 7, but not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel. Now so far, this sounds like many of the previous plagues, where God warned Pharaoh, here's something that's going to come upon you and your people, but I'm going to spare the Israelites. But this plague would be different. Because no Israelite would automatically be spared. So look at what God tells Moses to do in chapter 12, verses 1 through 13. Verses 1 through 6, he says, Every household needs to take a lamb and kill it. Enough for everyone in the household to share a meal. And then, verse 7, he says, Take some of the blood and put it on the doorposts and the lintel, the top of the door of your house. Verse 12, God explains why. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be assigned for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you. You might say, what does that mean? Well, it means that the Israelites did not just need to be delivered from human oppression they also needed to be delivered from divine judgment. And if you look down at verse 22 and 23, Moses repeats God's instructions to the people, and he emphasizes this point. Verse 22 says, Take a bunch of hyssop, which is a leafy plant, uh, dip it in the blood that is in the basin, touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. Then he says, None of you shall go out of your house until the morning. In other words, stay in the house where you are protected by the blood. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians when he sees the blood on the lintel of the two doorposts. The Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You see, the blood on the doors did not do anything to deliver the Israelites from Pharaoh's oppression. It did not help to deliver the Israelites from the Egyptians. The reason for the blood was the Israelites also needed to be delivered from divine judgment and death, from God's righteous judgment. Now, many people, when they read this story, uh, you might be one of them, many people struggle with the fact that all the firstborn sons of Egypt were killed in a single night. And you might be asking, gosh, that's a harsh punishment. How is that fair? Uh, now, I'm happy to have a longer conversation after service about this or any other questions you might have, uh, but I want to just make two brief points in response to that question. Uh, the first point that we see, if you look at sort of the story in Exodus as a whole, is that in this final plague, God was turning the Egyptians' evil 
back on themselves. So back in chapter 1 of Exodus, Pharaoh had commanded all the Egyptians to throw every Hebrew son, every baby boy, into the river. He declared open season on Hebrew sons. But now God turned Pharaoh's evil designs back on his own people. And in chapter 3, God said to Moses, Behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. You see, for years the Israelites had cried out under Egyptian oppression. But now it would be the Egyptians who would all be crying out. Chapter 12, verse 30 says, There was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Now God did not do this without warning. God had warned Pharaoh and the Egyptians nine times, presenting nine plagues and repeating his message over and over again. So it wasn't as if they had no warning. Still, Pharaoh had refused to let the Israelites go. So God turned the Egyptian people back on themselves in this tenth and final plague. So that's the first point I want to make. But the second point is this. When we look at not just the book of Exodus, but the larger story of the Bible, it's not only the Egyptians who deserved God's judgment. It wasn't just the Egyptians who were sinners. The Israelites, too, were sinners. And they, too, needed to be delivered from God's judgment. See, according to the Bible, every human being is created in God's image. But also, the human race, ever since the beginning, has fallen into sin, and as a result, we all deserve God's judgment because of our rebellion against God. Now, so far, the emphasis in the story of Exodus has been on how the Israelites suffered and how they were oppressed by Pharaoh and the Egyptians and how they needed to be delivered from that. But here we see that the Israelites were not righteous just because they suffered so much. They are not declared to be innocent just because of how badly they have been treated. They, too, were sinners who needed God's salvation. And when God set them free from Egypt and led them into the desert and led them into the promised land, guess what? They would prove that fact to be true over and over again. Because the Israelites over and over would turn away from God and disobey His commands and even harden their hearts. The same language is used of the Israelites later on that is used of Pharaoh here in the book of Exodus. They would harden their hearts against God. You see, sometimes we like to think of ourselves as sufferers, but not as sinners. Sometimes we're comfortable talking about all the ways that other people have mistreated us and circumstances have conspired against us and we haven't got a fair deal of the cards in life and we'll never fully recover from all the trauma we experience. And sometimes all those things are true. Suffering is not evenly doled out among human beings. Some individuals and some groups of people suffer disproportionately, and the reasons why are not always clear, are not always fair. But according to the Bible, we are not only sufferers who need to be delivered from human oppression and physical suffering and political problems. We're also sinners who need to be delivered from God's righteous judgment. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. 
And that was true here, not just for the Egyptians who had oppressed the Israelites for so long, but also for the Israelites who had experienced oppression in Egypt for that long. The only way for the Israelites to be delivered from this last and final plague was for a lamb to be killed and its blood applied to their houses. In other words, something else had to die in their place so they could be delivered from death on that fateful night. But you know, what happened that night was only a preview of an even greater deliverance to come. 1 Peter 1, verse 18 says, You were ransomed, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb, without blemish or spot. You see, the only way for you and I to be delivered from our sin and from God's righteous judgment is through the blood of Jesus Christ that he shed on the cross. He was sacrificed in our place on our behalf. And when we turn from our sin and put our trust in him, his blood covers us. We are safe under his mercy. You know, sometimes people come to church because they've been oppressed, because they've been mistreated by other people, because they feel all alone with nowhere to turn. And church feels like maybe, hopefully, it will be a safe place. That's actually what the word sanctuary means. It means a refuge. It means a safe place. And so if you came here because you're desperate for help in one way or another, came to a good place. You came to the right place. Because there is a God who cares for you. And he has heard your cries. And as the body of Christ on earth, we want to walk alongside each other and encourage each other and help each other when we face stressful and painful and unfair situations that sometimes last a long time. But our greatest need is not to be delivered from a health problem or a relational problem or a financial problem, or an emotional problem. Hard as all those may to be. Our greatest need is to be reconciled to a holy God through Jesus Christ. And he is the only way to be reconciled with God through his bloodshed on the cross. You see, you cannot be saved from God's judgment because of your ethnicity, your nationality, the adversities you've suffered, or the good works you've performed. It came upon the Egyptians, and it came upon the Israelites. You're not saved by being ethnically Jewish. The Israelites weren't saved back then, just because of their ethnicity. You're not saved by being a patriotic American. You're not saved because you've suffered unjustly at the hands of other humans. You're not saved because you're an outstanding citizen who's never had a criminal record. But you can be saved. No matter what your ethnicity, no matter what your nationality, no matter how many good works you've done or not done, and no matter how many sins you've committed, you can be saved through the blood of Jesus Christ. First Corinthians 5, 7 says, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. And in chapter 1 of the book of John, John the Baptist looks at Jesus and he points at him and says, Behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. See, he doesn't just say, Behold the Lamb of God who takes a poop, covers one family, or one group of people, or one people at one time in history. 
like the Lamb did back in Exodus. He says, the Lamb of God, whose death, whose atoning death is sufficient to take away the sins of the world. He takes away the sins of everyone who comes and turns from their sin and trusts in him. So come to Jesus, and you will be delivered from all that you need to be delivered from. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your provision for the Israelites. We thank you that you heard their cries when they had experienced so much suffering. A stressful and unfair and painful situation that lasted for so long. We thank you that you were merciful to them. And you showed your concern and compassion for them in concrete and physical ways. But we thank you also that you provided deliverance for them. You showed them that they had an even greater need to be saved from sin and death. And Lord, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus. We thank you for how during his ministry on earth he healed people, he cared for people, he met people's felt needs, physical needs, but we thank you especially for his sacrifice on the cross. That means our greatest need. Lord, help us. Help us all to trust in you, to know and experience your deliverance, and to be able to sing with joy, because you have saved us, you have redeemed us, you have called us by your name, and we belong to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.